With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, February 12th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you. With another team preview edition of the podcast, we're going to move through most of the NL West today. We quickly discarded the Rockies last week, so they are out of the way. We're going to focus on the meat in the NL West sandwich, the three teams that will likely be in the middle. That, of course, would include the defending National League champion Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Padres. So three fun teams to look at. I think you can... Make of them what you wish, really. You could talk yourself into these teams being playoff teams. You could talk yourself into 10 games below 500. And I think you could have a pretty fun conversation either way. Yeah, uh, this is the uh, lottery. This is what is the, the, the dice roll section of the, the division. <laughs> uh, I do have more confidence in one of these teams than the other two, though. Well, let's start with the defending let's National League champions. <laughs> is it the Arizona Diamondbacks? We'll play guess who. Is, is that the team you feel better of about? Course. Projections yeah. like them better. Yeah. <laughs> They're clearly projected for number two in the NL West. Right. And we, are they? Oh, in the NL West. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. I thought you said NL for a second. No. Yeah. No, I mean, you don't, you come off the recency bias of like them being in the, in the uh, World Series and, you know, you might think that they're a better team than they actually are. So I think they're a pretty good team. I don't think that I would say that they're a favorite to get back to the World Series. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Offseason addition so far, really one particularly big one with Eugenio Suarez, just given how much they struggled to get production from their rotation at third base last season. So that's a pretty big boost for them just from from that perspective. They retained Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So they didn't have to go out and find a replacement for him. Uh, it's it's a similar group of hitters to what we saw last year, but there's a couple things that I like that could actually change big time. And the biggest one is Jordan Lawler, right? Jordan Lawler could give them an upgrade over Geraldo Perdomo, who ended up having a better year than most people would have expected last year, but still, by way of weak contact, just looks like a utility player to me. He looks like someone you'd move around for his glove, put him in the bottom third of the order, just let whatever happen happens. No problem with like with that kind of profile in that sort of role. He doesn't look like an everyday shortstop in today's game. And Jordan Lawler does have those attributes. So when you see projections for Lawler, we've got the bad X up on the screen right now over on YouTube. You see power. You see speed. You only see 353 plate appearances. But there's a chance that Lawler wins this job very soon. And once he takes that job, he should be the primary shortstop for the foreseeable future. Yeah, he had a shoulder injury that seems almost like it's catching in the Arizona minor leagues. Uh, He hurt himself swinging on his shoulder just the same way Corbin Carroll and uh, top pick Drew Jones, the, the son of Andrew Jones, have hurt themselves in similar manners. I don't know what is going on with that. 
Um, but uh, it'd be really fascinating to find out that like they were all doing weighted bats or something. But I haven't heard anything like that. And Corbin Carroll himself told me he did not do weighted bats. Um, very specifically. So let's not start a rumor uh, that weighted bats cause shoulder injuries. But one thing that I've seen um from Lawler is that post shoulder injury the power has been a little bit suspect and i just don't know i don't know enough like doctor wise to declare him fully fit i don't and and from like sort of a stout in the scat line a scat line oof uh scouting the <laughs> scouting the stat line um i don't see great hard hit rates in the majors uh or in triple a and yeah, the sample is only 114 plate appearances, but he hasn't hit a ball over 108.6, and he hit the ball hard over 95 miles an hour less than a third of the time in those 114 plate appearances combined. So it wasn't a great um, 2023 in terms of batted ball oomph, uh, but everything else looks pretty good. Yeah. We saw improving plate skills over the course of his time at AA. And what he did at that level last year came with a really slow start. I mean, he wasn't healthy at the beginning of the season. That seemed to slow him down quite a bit. Um, Jordan Lawler, I would say, also because he's so young, the batted ball quality, the contact quality could still improve. The door is definitely open for something like that. But a familiar cast of characters up and down the lineup. Corbin Carroll is the star here. It's power. It's speed. Uh, I saw in the baseball forecaster, I think Acuna Light was the suggestion because even if you don't see another level of power coming from Corbin Carroll, he's one of the most fun players in the league to watch run the bases. It's not even just stolen bases. It's just lightning speed all the time. And last season, Corbin Carroll was 54 for 59 on the base path. So... Uh, even if the power doesn't tick up another level, that is a ridiculous combination to have with you know, 20 home run pop, the ability to hit the ball to all fields, a sub 20% K rate. And we're talking about a guy who just turned 23 back in August. Yeah, you know, where Lawler kind of floats floats around 50% ground balls, uh, Corbin Carroll does not have that problem. He can lift the ball. He has a nice, sweet line drive approach. Um, really cut his strikeout rate in a second attempt at the league. And uh, with that whiff rate seems to be sustainable with this above average contact rate, above average walk rate, elite speed. Um, and I think uh, maybe a little bit of developing power. I mean, he hit the ball 113.8 last year. Uh, that suggests there's a little bit of raw power in there past maybe uh, 25 homers. So I, I could see a peak season where he hits 30. I think he, he settles in at sort of 20 to 25 most seasons. Uh, it's hard to tell when that peak season's going to come, though. He's 23. Uh, he he, you know, he's seen the league. He might have one more adjustment in him, you know, this year, this coming year, and and set the world on fire and and get an MVP. I mean, that's that's how good he is. Yeah, and I think the quality of the contact for Corbin Carroll coming off of his 2022 debut is something we talked about on the show. I just brought it up as more of a question as opposed to something that would, uh, you know, bury him from becoming an early round player. When we saw him debut. His max was a 107.5. The barrel rate was only 5.5%. The hard hit was 32.9%. Not the numbers we're looking for, right? It's just proof that the small sample especially can be a little bit misleading. Yeah, it's instructive for our Jordan Lawler conversation for sure. I mean, it's it's very similar to what Lawler was, uh, did last year, this, this past season. 
Yeah, you look at where Lawler goes in redraft leagues right now, typically outside the top 300 overall with a big spring, he could certainly move up. We talked about you know, shortstop on our position preview, really kind of tapering off somewhere around that pick 200 range. You kind of draw the line with a, a Zach Neto or a Carlos Correa, usually in your leagues. Lawler's after those guys, as long as he has a job, he could sort of move up and possibly join uh, the back of that range. Yeah, I, I tend to want to buy plate appearances that deep in a draft. And so that's why I haven't made that jump. But if you're in like a 12-team dynasty league and Lawler seems like he's um, someone you could buy, you know, uh, if you're in a keeper league where there's an opportunity to buy, like I might I might do that. I think we talked about it as a news item recently. Jock Peterson joining the uh, Diamondbacks lineup as a regular DH. Big side platoon DH is the clear role at this point, barring something unforeseen, some kind of renaissance defensively. Not a big deal because the Diamondbacks have a few quality defensive options they can play out there. They don't need to just force the issue. Uh, We saw Alec Thomas start to play a lot better in the postseason last year. Gabriel Moreno looks like someone that could still take a step forward at the plate. So they've got a few young guys that could get better in this core group of position players. They've got the possible star in Lawler on the way. They have the young star already on the roster in Carroll. And they've got a few veterans like Suarez and Christian Walker and Cattell Marte. Really, it's just about health with those guys for the most part. I mean, I think Suarez of the three... It's reflected in his draft day price. He's the most risky because the swing and miss continues to build up in his profile. But you look at Marte and and Walker as two guys that should hit right up close to those projections based on the consistency we've seen from them on a per game basis. Yeah, and the the uh, the team from a team building standpoint, I really like what they've done because if you look at strikeout rate last year, Arizona had the fourth best strikeout rate as a team. If you look at defense, they were a top 10 t- uh, team by defense. So uh, then you look at isolated power and there they were 19th. So what do you do with a team that uh, defends well, has young players all over, um, you know, makes a lot of contact? and needs power, you add Eugenio Suarez and Jock Peterson. I mean, it seems like uh, a pretty awesome way to go about business, especially since those types of players are cheaper on the market. And so they come from a better place than, say, remember when the Marlins were like, we want to make more contact. Well, they went and got Arias, but they still struck out a lot, you know, because it's a whole team you're talking about. So in this case... The Arizona had a really good foundation team-wise, and they could just add a couple players that strike out too much but hit hit dongs. And mostly they don't hurt you defensively, especially with Jock being a DH, right? If your strength was defense and you had to play Jock Peterson in the outfield, that'd be pretty different. Interesting, too, the Diamondbacks, for all the things that went right last year, third from the bottom league-wide in barrel rate, 6.2% barrel rate. So it falls right in line with that ISO stat you threw out there where they just need to get to more power more consistently with this uh, this lineup, and I think they made the right adjustments over the course of the offseason. Let's shift the focus over to the pitching. A key addition, of course, with Eduardo Rodriguez going there in free agency. Projections are not real kind. The PPERA projection has Erod up at a 472 ERA, so definitely some concerns there that maybe what we saw in Detroit is not necessarily what we're going to get throughout this time in Arizona from him. But you got Gallon at the top of the rotation. He looks like at least a high-quality frontline guy. Merrill Kelly, with all the pitches, all the adjustments he's been making, performed really well. We've talked about Brandon Fott a lot on this show. The top, the top four is good, right? It's not great, but it's good. And I think the key is going to be getting a little bit more of the second-half version of Fott 
over an entire season. If they're going to kind of hold their position, remain a, a playoff threat all season long, I think part of that story is Brandon Fott pitching very well. Yeah, I think it's completely possible that my model misses on a few of these pitchers. Uh, you know, uh, from the perspective of what does Zach Gallen have and what does he need uh, to pitch well, he's got a wide arsenal, he's got command, he's got stuff, uh, he's got demonstrated results, he's been one of the top 10 pitchers in the league the last two years in a row. I'm a little surprised that the model, you know, spit out this 390 ERA for Zach Gallen, um, and I don't really know why. Um, but I do know why it doesn't love Merrill Kelly and, and Water Rodriguez as much because they don't have as uh, as good enough stuff. Um, but it's possible that pitchers with a ton of uh, different pitches and with changeups um, outperform the model a little bit just because of interactive effects where they have more different options, more different things they can tunnel, more different you know, ways that they can keep the batter uh, on their, you know, guessing basically uh, when it comes to their arsenal, what's going to come. Um, and Brandon Fodd, for what it's worth, uh, does have a, a fair amount of breakout potential because he comes from a place where he had stuff, but was struggling to put it together through, started throwing a sinker in the postseason, And I think that now gives him that interactive effect where now he can go, he can be a sinker slider guy, uh, he can be a four-seam change guy. He's got a couple different looks he can throw at you. I still worry about him versus lefties, but he showed that he can be dominant against righties and survive against lefties, and there are plenty of pitchers in the big leagues who do that. So plenty to like and a clear path to be that number four starter because the questions right now for this group are kind of around the number five spot. Ryan Nelson, who we really liked going into last season, uh, just didn't put it all together. He might be the favorite. Tommy Henry, Slade Ciccone, other options in tow. Uh, I'm curious, like, why didn't it work for Ryan Nelson? This is a guy that was a reliever during his time in college. Got pretty good results moving through the Diamondback system as a starter. Looked pretty good at the end of 2022 in a limited run as well. And what kinds of adjustments do you think he could make if he is going to secure that number five starter spot and have a little more success in 2024? Well, one thing that happened has was totally out of his uh, control was that we updated our our model and um, it wasn't uh, it didn't go so well for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are some movement changes as well, and his forcing fastball had two inches less ride this this the past season that it did the season before, and it also um, you know his other pitches had less drop, so. In general, his pitches did lose some stuff and some spin between 2022 and 2023. So there's that. But then there's also the model reboot, which suggests that uh, the four-seam fastball is below average. The curveball is below average. The changeup is pretty bad. Um, but you could just call it a below average, I guess. The cutter is around average, and the slider is his best pitch but he throws it less often than the cutter and the changeup. So uh, there could be a way forward for him where he just throws a slider more and more. Um, you know, that's an opportunity for him. The cutter and change are close enough to average that I think that he can do something with them. Maybe he just turfs the curveball completely and uh, changes, you know, just optimizes his existing mix. It's nice that he has those pitches, but he's so forcing fastball dependent. He throws it so much 
But that's my main thing that I just keep shouting on the screen when I see him is I don't think that forcing fastball is good enough. He's not like a Taj Bradley or a Bryce Miller where he can just keep throwing that forcing fastball over and over again and expect to get good results. So I think he needs to figure out a way to trust these other pitches. If you're watching him in spring, watch his pitch mix. Yeah. I just also don't think that the other guys are that good. So I don't think he's got much competition. Yeah, it's one of those strange things. As good as this system is, they've graduated a lot of the pitchers they have, and it doesn't look like there's really a lot of help coming internally from the group of pitching prospects they currently have in the organization. So maybe it's a very late spring training signing. Maybe there's something else in the works. Uh, That's going to be kind of something to watch as far as job battles go over the course of spring training, though I would say you're right. Nelson probably is the favorite at this point. Quickly looking at the relievers, the acquisition of Paul Seawald at the traded line last year was huge because they have him this year as well. This was a clear area that needed to be upgraded. Mike Hazen and company did that. Uh, we talked about Seawald in the closer preview. It seems like he's kind of clearly in that second tier of, of closers, but one that we generally trust to hold onto this job throughout the season. Yeah, the only thing that worried me was something that you saw maybe in the postseason, which was just that the... You know, the more often that people see him in a short series, it seemed like the better they got at seeing him. And uh, I, I just wonder if there's certain types of movement or funkiness or deception that, you know, are subject to this. And then how does that work out over a full season? Because he did just get traded out of a division he was in. Uh, to a new division so you know maybe the Dodgers haven't seen them that much and so maybe it'll work for a season or two but you know is there a a chance that the the first time he sees the Dodgers in in April it's fine and then when he sees them again it's not as good and then when he sees them in September it's it's disastrous Um, I those aren't questions I have answers to Uh, but it is something that occurred to me when I watched Seawald in a short series after they got to see him a few times they seem to really kind of lock in on him. I do like their depth a little more now than I did at the beginning of last season. We saw Andrew Salfrank come up late in the year. He had some pretty meaningful innings for them in the postseason. He looks like a nice piece for them. Ginkle's still there. Ryan Thompson they got from the Rays midseason. He was a good addition too. So between those guys and Miguel Castro, it's probably at least an average bullpen going into the season with maybe a slightly above average A group when they have a lead that they're trying to protect. So they've done some pretty good things here. Ginkle as the guy who could take over if Seawald struggles. struggles. Um, you know, he had a really good season last year. In fact, the last two seasons, he's been he's been really strong. Um, lost a little bit of ELO last year. Uh, so you kind of want to see where he's sitting. Uh, but if he's sitting 96 again, uh, you know, I think he could take that job if, if Seawald stumbles. So as we've done throughout this series, we'll continue to do. We keep looking at the Picota win-loss projections for every team over at Baseball Prospectus. 86.2 wins is the win total for the Diamondbacks using the Goldilocks porridge scale. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Let's see. The Diamondbacks are right now 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14th in total projected war. You're saying 86 wins. That seems just about right. <laughs> uh, although, I guess 15th would be technically supposedly 81, but it's just not how it works. No, you know they are not distributed evenly. They're not distributed evenly. There's there's some teams that are uh, much worse that they're going to uh, feed off of. 
uh, like the Rockies, like we mentioned. So I think 86 is just about right. How does this team uh, blow past that? Um, you know, I think it's just uh, Alec Thomas and Jordan Lawler, you know, kind of stepping forward. Those are, you know, two of their weaker places offensively. Uh, Brandon Fott. So I think it's a little bit on their young players. Yeah, I would say Alex Thomas, Jordan Lawler, and Brandon Fott are the keys to this team. They put together a bunch of veterans around them that are going to probably just do what you expect them to do. Maybe Moreno can take another step forward, but it's I, I don't I, I think that's already he's good. He's really good. I don't need to put expectations on him as a catcher. It's it's tough enough. I think ceiling projections for him as a hitter are still above what he's done so far, but he's already done enough where. This is fine. If this is who he is, that's not a problem for the D-backs. It's just, yeah, it's a it's a bonus if Moreno does more than what he's done so far, and he's capable of it. But they don't necessarily need it to come from him. He had he used to lift the ball a little bit more in the in the lower minors. Um, he's now been you know a ground ball hitter in the majors uh, so far, but that doesn't mean that's his true talent. So if he can lift the ball a little bit more, um. 109.7 max EV suggests that he could be a 15, 18 homer hitter. Uh, that's beyond what is projected to be, but that would be a breakout for Moreno is 280, 18 homers, you know, five to 10 steals. And uh, that's pretty good for a catcher. And even just compared to his small sample from Toronto in 2022, we saw you know fewer swings at pitches outside the zone. We saw a little more hard contact from Moreno. He took over that job, and it looks like he's the catcher for the long-term future now in Arizona. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to the Padres. I put the Padres ahead of the Giants because in my mind, they're still better. I don't know if that's actually true. It's just something I think is true. <laughs> so we'll talk through it. We'll see how this goes. Uh, not surprisingly at all, Jerks and Profar actually just re-signed with the Padres. So if we were wondering Sun who was going to play Sun a lot in left down. field, there's your inexpensive solution to go out there and maybe get 450 plate appearances and, and take some of the pressure off a few of the younger guys that we've talked about. But you know, it's it's a weird year for the Padres, having traded Juan Soto, and you feel like the, the window slammed shut as far as them being a team that was going to spend aggressively and have this sort of different approach under uh, the late owner, Peter Seidler. We'll see how much things change, how quickly things change beyond the Soto deal. It's becoming a little more of a top-heavy sort of lineup. I think that's the, the main takeaway for me. And Fernando Tatis Jr., 
I thought showed us a lot. We talked about him a little bit on the the outfield preview. His first year back after suspension and a long layoff due to injury, there could still be some rust in there. I think there's some questions as to whether or not he's going to sustain the improved strikeout rate if he brings the power back. Whichever version of Tatis you get, there's power, there's speed, there's now good defense in the outfield. You still have Tatis. You still have Machado, who seems to be recovering well from that arm surgery. You still have Hassan Kim. He didn't get traded. And I know you're down on Xander Bogarts, but if he's your fourth best position player, you're not in bad shape as a lineup. So I think this is a position player group that probably is getting dinged a little more than it should simply because of the Soto trade. I think it, uh, for what it's worth, they kind of went from being uh, maybe top heavy everywhere uh, on the team um, to, you know, trading some of that top heaviness in Juan Soto for depth on the pitching side. I mean, that's obviously what they did in getting Michael King, Johnny Brito and Randy Vasquez. We'll talk about them later. But what it did do on the hitting side was make them more top heavy. So uh, I I was surprised to see, though, because I, I thought I'm going to take the bat X projections and sum up all the outfields and I'm going to find the Padres at the bottom. And that's not what I found. According to the bat X, the, the Padres outfield is exactly average. That's not what I see with my eyes when I look at it. I don't think Jose Azucar is a starting outfielder. I don't think Jerickson Profar is a starting outfielder in this league. Jerickson Profar last season had one of the 20 worst seasons since free agency began. Uh, It was as bad as 2011 Miguel Olivo, if anybody remembers those days. I do. I do remember those days. Yeah, so, uh, you know, there's a Unesky Betancourt uh, year in there. The Chris Davis year where it all fell apart is in there. Um, you know, a Nafi Perez season is in there. So uh, he's not in a good place uh, coming off of last season. I'm not sure he's a starting level outfielder. Could he be a fourth outfielder? Sure. Could Azakar be a fourth outfielder? Sure. That's two fourth outfielders and a star. And uh, so it puts a lot of pressure on, I think, Jacob Marcy and maybe Graham Pauly. For one of those guys to step forward. Maybe the opening day outfield is Azokar, Profar, and Tatis. I don't know how long that'll stick around. I mean, if he if Mike Schilt has any sort of power, uh, I don't know that that would stick around a long time. I think he would get tired of that pretty quickly and start asking for the young guys. It's only not a bad depth chart because of Tatis. Like, you have a star that just erases the flaws in this case. Yeah, I think that's probably why he got up to 15. I mean, it was like seven and a half wars. Like, you know, four and a half of it is Tatis's, so. Easily, yeah. So I guess it comes back to, do you think they have any internal options between Marcy and Graham Pauly and other guys they could shift around? We, we know there's Jackson Merrill, their top prospect at shortstop. He may end up taking some reps in the outfield this spring, maybe he becomes an option out there. How do you see them solving it? Like, are they actually done, or is there still one more cheap veteran addition here? Even though the the Profar one, I guess you could have seen that coming from miles away. I mean, there's. I thought Adam Duvall would make sense. You know, if they're not gonna, I think that if they're not gonna play Tatis in center, they do cut themselves off because there are the kind of Eddie Rosario, Tommy Fams that they could add to this. Uh, but they can't play center. I don't think Azakar's a good enough 
center fielder defensively or bat offensively to to take that job. So center field is kind of the open one, in which case I would think Jacob Marcy, because they there's been some rumors that Jackson Merrill is going to play left field. But left field is a lot easier place to just stick a bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would just be a real shame because Jackson Merrill is a great shortstop. Bogarts to left field would make a lot of sense, but it might anger one of your four best position players. <laughs> um, and I mean, it would, I think it would definitely anger him. So, uh, your, your, your choice is to sort of rattle the nest, rattle the bees nest, um, or hope Jacob Marcy steps forward in the spring and just takes center field. That's a possibility. Or, uh, why not Tatis in center? And then you can say Marcy and Paulie and maybe even Eddie Rosario or Tommy Pham can be in the, in the corners, you know? Um, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me, but it just hasn't been done so far. I don't know what it is. I guess Tatis sometimes slips mentally in the, you know, defensively. Maybe they just overrate that with their eyes and just think he can't be a center fielder. But I think he would do well with more chances. He's the kind of guy who wants to be engaged in the game. He's a, he's a star. He's a superstar. I would say put Tatis in center and keep him engaged. He's got all the tools to do it. I don't know why you wouldn't at least try it, just given the scope of the need right now, given his age, given that I think he clearly has the tools to at least make it a rational thing to attempt. If you're worried about him getting hurt, okay, I guess I understand that. I think there's a lot of of evidence that get hurt more. There's walls. There's walls for everybody. <laughs> yeah. In fact, this the the, more corner guys the corners guys have double the walls. Yeah. <laughs> there are more services that can hurt you playing a corner than there are playing center field. Fact. <laughs> as far as the tease goes at the plate, uh, you were looking at this before the show. I thought this was pretty interesting. The the location of Tatis's barreled balls in 2021 versus 2023 is a little bit different. It wasn't pulling the ball with his when he hit the barrels as often in 2023. Yeah, it's kind of hard to see it first uh, in these spray charts, but uh, if you think about it relatively, because there's just more barrels on the left, so you say, oh, it looks like he has just as many barrels, uh, oppo barrels. But if you think about it, there's just more barrels on the left, fewer barrels on the right, and more of those barrels are to center and to right than before. So. Um, there is something, uh, missing with Tatis a little bit, but I hesitate, hesitate to say that it's bat speed, uh, because he still hit the ball 113.4, uh, and he still had a hard hit rate of nearly 50%. So, you know, was, you know, was bat speed missing? And if it was bat speed, do we think that's something that may have just had to do with the shoulder and wrist injuries? That maybe another year out he can get. We're not talking about him losing five miles an hour bat speed. I'm, I'm guessing it can't. Who wouldn't? He wouldn't even have this barrel rate and have these outcomes if he'd lost five miles an hour bat speed. So if he lost a half a mile an hour or a mile an hour, could he get that back? You know, a year later after the surgery, after sort of you know a, a regular off season where he's not coming back from two surgeries. Um, I think yes, and I think this is a subtle change that uh, does not worry me so much. So I'm fully in on Tatis. I think he's going to get back to that at least 250 ISO level. Um, and that's where most of the projections are. But the bad X, uh, you know, finally, when it came out recently, kind of put together what I'm saying, which is I think he can hit 285 with a 263 ISO, 36 homers. Like, 
this is this is who I think Tatis can be. And yeah, I'm sure if you if you stick the bad X into the project into the projection uh, system into the auction calculator, as I am doing as I talk, um, that uh, Tatis comes out pretty nice, fifth best batter in the league. And uh, so I think he's a he's a pretty interesting guy at the top of you don't get a lot of value plays at the top of a, uh, a of a of a fantasy draft in the first five six picks but Tatis might be one of them I mean still theoretically shows the tools that could make him the best player on the board it could happen it's not there's three or four guys that consistently go ahead of him who seem more likely to do it but he's he at least still has that you can't say that about everybody even in the first round you can't say that about everybody i'm solidified in the first round like you know if, uh, like i i suppose there could be different settings and different systems and, and different things that could make me wrong about this but uh, it, it seems pretty universal to me that i'm going very solidly and i don't care saying this if you're in a draft with me i guess you'll know acuna julio and i guess it is a little bit closer with carol and tatis but i'm gonna go carol tatis Ah, you got Tatis up in that big five. Okay. Yeah. That's how much I like him. And with his ADP right now being more like seven or eight, that's what I'm saying. There's a value play. Of course, Strider being, we had that whole discussion, Strider being the clearly number one uh, pitcher, you know, starts, uh, you know, starts nibbling away at like the fourth and fifth batter. I get it. And then also um, Corbin Carroll's shoulder, you know, and and then Tatis's issues that you know that's where you start to have some nits you can pick, but I'm pretty solidified in that top four. Right, yeah. Tatis's shoulder, wrist, motorcycle accidents, PED suspensions. I heard someone say recently they have a no knucklehead rule, and I and I I'm wondering. I think Tatis might be on the knucklehead list. That seems like it might have been uh, inspired by Ian Khan, the name at least, the no knucklehead <laughs> list. That was that was always a, a catch-all that Ian had. Uh, let's talk about the pitching for the Padres. It's looking good. We learned about a week or so ago that both just Joe Musgrove and you Darvish are going through completely normal winters. Now that spring training has started for the Padres, they're on the same schedule as everybody else. ADPs are going to go up for both of those guys. They're not going to be relative bargains quite the same way they have been because everything's going really well. We talked about Michael King at the time the Padres acquired him from the Yankees as sort of the centerpiece of that deal that sent Juan Soto away. It's just going to come down to innings and how effective he is over the course of the season, right? Like I could see King being really good for the first two or three months and maybe fatigue catching up to him a little bit. He's been a starter before. It's just been a long time. The Yankees have had a need for starters. King hadn't really been the guy they turned to in some of those spots, so I'm not sure I'm I'm as in love with Michael King as the trendy breakout pitcher to target in that range as everybody else is. I I, I like him. I understand why people like him. I just think You're there's just a little more really risk cooked the in there risk. because the look I I and I like pitching risk. I actually embrace yeah, pitching risk. You're the risk. glass now guy. <laughs> I'm the glass now guy. This is one of those cases where I'm like, hey, it's cheap compared to glass now. But are you buying skills that you really trust? from a quality starter, or are you buying it from someone that did it for a little while? I think that's something that you also have to reckon with, aside from the injury questions. Like, is this really going to work as well as it did in the second half of last season over a full season as a starter? I trust him a heck of a lot more in San Diego pitching in Petco than I did if he had to deal with Yankee Stadium for half the starts. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, – I trust Ruben Niebel as a pitching coach. I trust the, the Padres park. I'd actually trust the Arsenal because it's a dominant sinker slider with a good forcing changeup. So it's a pretty wide arsenal. You know, it's not uh, – Someone that it's not like a Christian Javier type who was just four seam slider and was so good that they moved him into the rotation. Uh, you know, I'm I think this is more of a, a regular starter's arsenal, and he commands most of it. And even though the four seam and change are you know secondary pitches for him, he got really good results on them. And yes, they may suffer if he has to throw them more, but. Um, you know, I, I, I think he, he proved that he can do it. I think that the real big thing for the Padres is if they get more than 500 innings from Musgrove, King, and Darvish, they're going to be a re- they, they're going to be better than their projections. They're going to be a really good team. Um, if they get, you know, more like 350, <laughs> which is also a possibility, uh, then they're going to have 150 uh, even with the depth that they acquired, they're going to have 150 innings they have to fill with people that I'd rather not fill it with. And the back of that Padres rotation did improve a lot along with that trade for King because, you know, I like Vasquez and Brito. I do have them in the top five. I do not really like Pedro Vila uh, or Matt Waldron that much. Um, and, you know, Pedro Vila... Uh, has minus command of most of his pitches and stuff wise really only has like one pitch, the changeup that is um, that stands out. And if you look at stuff like strikeouts minus walks, it wasn't good. So, you know, if you have 150 more innings from Avila and Waldron, uh, I think that's going to be bad for the team. Um, but I do like Vasquez and Brito to some extent. Vasquez has, this is who are we looking at right now? This is Pedro Avila. Yeah. We're looking at Pedro Avila's mix. Uh, 78 stuff plus on the curveball, 84 on the sinker, 73 on the fastball. It's not good. Uh, the changeup is de- decent, 105 stuff plus. But then, then you look at the location plus area, and the curveball is the only one he locates well, and he doesn't locate the other three well at all. I just don't see a a, a, a plan of attack where you say he needs a strike. He's going to get the curveball over 3-0. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and and then if he if it even if that is the case then people will start sitting curveball 3-0 because he has no other pitch he can command so if you have like one pitch you can command and one pitch for stuff and they aren't the same pitch i think it's you're kind of sol so this this uh pitch chart that we're looking at for pedro avila is not uh is is a reason why i'm out on him if you look at vasquez and brito what you see is a much more wider arsenals they have they have more pitches more useful pitches johnny brito's sinker and slider are uh, sinker and breaking ball are probably better than vasquez's best pitches but vasquez's worst pitches are better than brito's so if you just want kind of four average pitches in a good park ahead of him on the depth chart that's randy vasquez if you want like a little bit more ooh, he could maybe get more whiffs and break out and be a little bit better going forward that's johnny brito i think that they're both going to get 100 innings at least they need right now i mean there are some rumors that the padres might sign another pitcher even if the padres sign another pitcher their six starters going to get 100 innings so well and i think even though we have clean bills of health on musgrove and darvish and you and i both like both of those guys like there's elevated risk on both of them plus king someone will miss some time out of that trio almost certainly even if they get to 500 innings someone could be hurt for a little while 
Right, 600 is full, right? <laughs> Quote, unquote. So as it stands right now, yeah, I think you'd project Vasquez and Brito to have the fourth and fifth spot, and Avila would be on the outside looking in. You know, Matt Waldron, you'll see on the depth chart. I don't I don't see a lot that I like there. Um, they brought back Luis Patino this offseason, so... That's like a reclamation project. And he might end up in the bullpen, too. That's not. There's nothing guaranteed to him just as far as an opportunity to start goes, so there's, there's a lot of questions in the depth. I think Brito makes a lot of sense to me because you look at the way he struggled mostly against lefties last year. Homers were the problem. Yeah. Sinker slider guy struggling against lefties. I mean, that's what you want for Brito is a cutter or a change or some, some sort of, you know, some sort of step forward against lefties for sure. Yeah. Nine of the 14 homers he allowed last season came at Yankee stadium. He threw about 18 more innings on the road too. So big difference in the home road splits. ERA was like two and a half runs lower, a little more than that even for Brito outside of Yankee Stadium, a 317. I don't think it's a 317 true talent pitcher. I just think he's a guy that was going to get punished more than most in Yankee Stadium with the pitches he has, with the flaws he has. A lot of that can be erased by the park. So two pretty interesting depth guys who go super, super late for fantasy purposes. They're they're, they're in my de- they're, they're both making appearance in my Deep Sleepers article, so you can get those anytime you want. Um and I and honestly, I don't think they're great fits for ten twelve last pitcher because no, I don't they're see that kind of upside for yeah. those leagues. But they're pretty good draft and hold picks, if you ask me. Yep. like they're gonna play all year. How many times are you gonna be like, ooh, I got Brito in San Diego against the Giants? Like maybe maybe I'll circle <laughs> that one. Um, you know, another thing that uh, I just wanted to mention was that I heard from a team analyst uh, of somebody that was in uh, Brito's old division that they had Brito sinker as one of the best run suppression sinkers in, in baseball. So That's pretty interesting too. Again, not real useful against lefties. So you, you want to see, you want to hear something about one of his pitches. That's not the sinker or uh, the breaking ball in the spring. The, the, I think they call it a curveball. So if you hear something about something other than sinker or curve, taking a step forward from Johnny Brito, he could actually surpass Randy Vasquez. We're not that far away from our, our closer preview that we just did, but since we record that, the Padres have said they're not going to name a closer, at least not yet, which is a little weird. Uh, Robert Suarez is still my favorite for the job. Yuki Matsui. I suppose it's because, of, it's because of those guys. They 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 want to give the young guys. They maybe even uh, because there was like a little bit of a sort of a nink and a, and a nod to, to the young guys, uh, I mean, to the guys coming over from NPP in Korea to be like, you, you'll be in the mix for closer. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Sign with us. Maybe that's what it is. I, my assessment of the situation continues to be, if Robert Suarez is healthy, He's he will guy. be the he will be the primary source of saves. Maybe it's a slight so. share. If they had 40 saves as a team, I would expect at least 25 and probably 30 to go to Suarez as long as he's healthy. Yeah, Matsui's fastball looked really good in the WBC by Stuff Plus, but uh, none of his other pitches did, but they also didn't, he didn't throw that many. Um, so I'm interested to see what his secondary pitches are like. I suppose Yuki Matsui could could t- take that, especially if Suarez is, is uh, I, I would watch Suarez's velo. That's a good way to know how healthy he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Wusuko had some real command issues, so I think they're, he's going to be more of a, a setup guy. I think he's like sixth and seventh inning more than late, late innings for the Padres this year. Just a gut feeling based on some things we've seen from him. They still have Steven Wilson, who's, who's really solid. You know, they have some options. 
They do. A couple prospects that could be on the way. Drew Thorpe came over in the Juan Soto trade. We could see him before the end of the season if there's problems with injuries or if you know some combo of Brito or Vasquez or other guys that are relying on the back don't come through. Dylan Lesko could be a fast mover through the system, maybe maybe for a, a late, late season sort of promotion. Snelling. Robbie Snelling's the guy that I think you really want to keep an eye on. Another yeah. guy that's moved very fast, got time at double A last year, actually made four starts there and looked pretty good. Had a little bit of a, a walk problem during his brief time there, but geez, a 156 ERA as a, a teenager pitching at double A. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think he was my league pitcher of the year. The fangrass grades are a roller coaster a little bit. 45 50 fastball, that's not great. 45 50 slider, mm-hmm. uh, change up 30 45. Wait, why is this guy good? And then uh, command 20 present 50 future, like 20 is the worst. You know, the scouting scale goes 20 to 80. So they're saying that he has terrible command that might become average. I mean, his walk rates don't look like that. He had a 6.5% walk rate in A ball, a 7.6 in high A. 13.7 in double A is not great, but that was 17 and a third innings. So, like, there's a little bit of a disconnect here between, like, oh, man, they don't like his stuff and they really hate his command. And, wait, he struck out, like, 28% of the batters he saw and walked, like, 9% of them? Like, seems like a strange combination of scouting grades and uh, results. So, I'm, I, I want to see more of him. Uh, I have not, uh, you know, laid eyes on him in person yet. Um, just seen some some stuff on on video, and I think that uh, they've got him probably internally circled as you know this could be our wild card for for the late season. Definitely seems like they're higher on him than some of the uh, the analysts have been up to this point, given how aggressively they have promoted him. Padres, according to Pakoda, seventy nine point three wins. Too hot, too cold, or just right. I'm going to give him the incomplete. Oh, come on. I'm going too hot. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going too cold. I, no, I, the reason I'm giving him incomplete is that, like, I, th- I think they could be better than 79 wins with just a little bit of work. And if you, you know, there's a big discussion about, like, how much money they have to spend. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that they were told was they had to keep it under, uh, you know, under 200 a million or so and or two under the 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 first luxury tax apron i think there's in fact when they were given the loan um they were told that um uh they they couldn't get the 100 million they asked for uh when they were when they asked for the loan and uh they had to get they had to take 50 million um and i think there was some sort of debt servicing rules that are in the collective bargaining agreement that are related to why they can't go over the first luxury tax which is 237 but right now their luxury tax number is 215. I see a lot of people reporting it as 159, but that does not include a lot of other stuff. They're still spending money on Eric Hosmer. They're still spending money on Matt Carpenter. Um, so there is some other stuff that like that's added into that 149. It's actually 215 for luxury tax purposes. Do they have 20 million dollars left? Probably not. Do they have five million dollars left? Could they make an outsize? Uh, difference with $5 million. They just got Spencer Turnbull for $2 million in Philadelphia. I think Spencer Turnbull would have been a good signing for them. What would Eddie Rosario cost? What would Adam Duvall cost? I think those won't be a lot in terms of moving that line that you're saying, 79 you know, wins or whatever. 
Um, but they would mean a lot to me when I look at the depth chart and think about the Padres, just to get one or two more veterans on here because they have improved their depth and their young guys are knocking on the door. I just want to have Duvall there in case Jacob Marcy's not ready because I don't like having Azokar there in case Jacob Marcy's not ready. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm going to give him an incomplete and a too cold. It's, I think it's too cold already. But I, I think that like a one or two signings could knock them into, hey, these guys are ready to compete for a wild card. Most likely those signings would nudge the win total up, but you think it'd still probably be lighter than it should be. Right, because it, you put Duval on, you put Duval and Turnbull on this team and the, the over-under goes to 80.5. And I'm still thinking like, no, this is more like 83, 84 and get a little lucky, get 86, 88, you know. Yeah, health's going to be a huge part of it for this team in particular. Manny's it's health. huge for everybody. But they have got a greater dependence on a smaller group of guys that have some known injury issues. Me, injury yeah. risk guy, I think it's too cold. That's just where where I like to live. We finished the Arizona uh, talk with just like, you know, wh- how does this team take a step forward? It's really obvious. Luis Camposano takes a step forward. Jacob Marcy takes a step forward. You know, maybe Jackson Merrill, uh, you know, makes the big leagues. Maybe Tukupita Marcano, maybe somebody that we ha- haven't talked about takes a step forward. Maybe Vasquez or Brito. Like, it's it's the young guys here, too. You know, the 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 collection of veterans is not as solid as the D-backs, but it's, it's a similar sort of setup where they've got a collection of veterans and then a, a bunch of young guys in positions of need. So there's that's how you, you write the story of the Padres, you know, making the playoffs next season is you know, two or three of these young guys just took a step forward. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's try to write a story that puts the Giants back in the playoffs. That's going to be a little bit harder to do. And projections say they're actually a tick better than the Padres. Only about a full, not even quite a full win, according to Pakoda. 80.1 is their number. A little bit of a spoiler there. I think this is a, a team that, because they had the just ridiculous run back in 2021, just a, a 
season where everything went right. They did a lot of things right and then kind of got lucky on top of that. It just messed up our perception of where they were at, what their true talent level was. And it's been a couple of years trying to unpack like, okay, where are they now exactly? I look at this group of hitters and it's pretty funny. Like, Even if you don't play fantasy, maybe you can appreciate this. They do not have a hitter in this Giants lineup inside the top 100 overall. So there's no giant hitter that goes in the first 100 picks of a fantasy draft. It just doesn't happen. And they only have two inside the top 300. for every other team, right? Yeah, most teams have a few. Yeah, It's just, it's unbelievable. Tyro Estrada is their most valuable position player for fantasy players because he steals bases and doesn't hurt you in average, gets to some power. He's a good, good player, but... That's the hard thing about this team right now is you start to look at this group of hitters and even if you're you know, bullish on Jung-Ho Lee, okay, like what, what else is there compared to the other teams we're looking at in this division especially, and we haven't even looked at the Dodgers yet, what are they doing with this group of position players? You know, we just finished, you know, the last two with like, you know, what goes right, who steps forward and, uh, you know, I'm going to have something on Marco Luciano um, you know, that's, that's, uh, positive, but I'd rather be negative first because I don't know if it's because I'm here, um, and I have to see them. Like, I think Patrick Bailey is a wonderful defensive catcher. Fantastic. Yeah. I think Casey Schmidt is a wonderful defender. I'm out of nice things to say about young hitters coming up through this organization. Luis Matos came up and it seemed like a surprise to everybody in the organization that he couldn't play center field well. You know? It almost seemed like a surprise to people that he wasn't fast. <laughs> and I'm just like, like, okay, like, listen, me, idiot, who doesn't watch every minor league game, I was surprised that he was slow and couldn't play center field. But y'all, like, run this team. <laughs> like, somebody should have noticed that before you stuck him out there. Um, I think that caused them to kind of panic and maybe overpay for Jung Hoo Lee a little bit. I mean, the the numbers that they they gave Jung Hoo Lee will make sense if he's a three four win player, as the projections say. But also, we're like twenty to thirty million dollars more than projections uh, suggested Jung Hoo Lee was going to get. Why do you do that? Because you're like crap. We are. How do you get young up the middle when your young up the middle guys that are coming up can't hit? And so, like, I don't really like Tyler uh, Fitzgerald either. Like, I don't, I don't like Casey Schmidt's bat at all. He swings at everything. Uh, Patrick Bailey is a switch hitter. He could take a step forward. There's some things I like about him. He could be emerging as kind of like a a, a really solid catcher. Like, a, a, a he's not the same kind of guy as Shea Langoliers, but like we said, nice things about Shea Langoliers. You can say nice things about Patrick Bailey. It doesn't mean he's great for fantasy, but you know he's a he's a good catcher. They they have a good number one catcher. I'm gonna say some nice things about Luciano later, but uh, generally I am a little bit dismayed by the state of player development in San Francisco. Given all the resources they have, uh, given the attention they've given it, I it, it doesn't seem like it's it's working right now. Right. It makes you wonder if the problem is more in scouting and, and bringing the right players into the organization, because it seems like at the, the top end, one of the things they were doing well, even a few years ago, was finding 
guys in their mid or late 20s and turning them into useful big leaguers, which I think we would agree is a yeah, useful thing. Well. Yeah, yeah you, you have smart coaching. You're, you're identifying guys that slip through the cracks on the rosters. That's good. If you're not finding good talent through the draft, international free agency, that's a problem. If you can't turn young players into good players, that's a problem. Luis Matos, that is pretty strange, right? I mean, for a guy that got to the big league so young, you'd think, if anything, if he's a, if you on paper, you're like, this guy plays center field, he doesn't strike out a lot, he can steal some bases, he gets the occasional power, he must run well. 60th percentile in sprint speed for a guy that's 21 years old. It's yeah. not great. But yes, the organization should be fully aware of, of that you know, as a shortcoming. So he does look like a, a corner outfielder. He doesn't hit like a corner outfielder, so that's kind of funky. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you got some other guys in your roster that exceed expectations relative to their position. It doesn't really matter where the production but comes from. But the rest from. of your roster is old. <laughs> but the rest of your roster is a bunch of guys that are better served, mostly mixing and matching and being put yeah. in their ideal spots, not guys that you necessarily want to play every day. I mean, you you look at this list. Who do you like to possibly exceed? Like You could, you could get as many Giants hitters as you want because they're so cheap, but... Michael Conforto doesn't look like the same guy post-shoulder injury. I thought there was a chance they'd get more out of him last year. He had some good stretches, but he's 30 now, and the, the batted ball quality is, is is worse than when he had before the shoulder injury. The improvements to J.D. Davis's defense that we've talked about. I don't know if most people thought any organization could do that. That's a nice win. I'll say something nice about him. Listen, that was the first time he did 546 plate appearances. To my eye, he was gassed in the in the in the at the end of the season. Like, could he just be more prepared, more ready for 650 plate appearances? Could he be a guy that they just stick in there? He was 4% better than the league average of the stick. What if he starts out well and he's more like 10%? Like, for his career, he's 14% better than the league average of the stick. What if he plays to his career numbers early on and they just said, you know what, screw it. Like, you're our everyday first baseman or whatever it is, you know? You're our everyday third baseman. Like, and he basically isn't that much better per per ab but like just gets to 650 like is that a possibility the reason i think it's a possibility is that you know i don't think casey schmidt is a guy whose bat you want to get into the into the into the lineup you know so it, yes you could give davis davis a blow but it'd just be to give him a rest it's not because you like casey schmidt better against righties or something you know so i don't see a natural person that i want in the lineup more right now that's a caveat is like Matt Chapman's still out there. Yeah, it would help if they were to make a late addition free agency for sure. They are desperate for it at this point. So Davis, I like a little bit. Lee, Lee, like just maybe has a little bit more power than we expect and than the projections expect. Like maybe he hits 12, 15 homers and, you know, that would outpace his projections and outpace his uh, his price at auction. So those are the two. Ba- and then I think Tyro Strata is just undervalued by people. I don't think he's going to be better than he was, but I think that people just don't appreciate how good he's been. I think the nice thing I, I could say about that group of, of hitters is Patrick Bailey. We know the glove is phenomenal. I think there's reason to believe he's controlled the strike zone well everywhere he's played in the minors, so the K rate could come down or the walk rate could come up. He hit the ball pretty hard last year. 38% hard hit rate's not bad. He doesn't pound the ball into the ground a lot. Because his defense is so good, he will continue to play a lot. He could get better. So I think there could be some growth from him at the plate. But again, these are pretty small bumps over the projection. It's kind of like if if someone's going to go 
just bonkers in this lineup somewhat unexpectedly. And I only say somewhat because he's a top prospect. People have known who Marco Luciano is for years. It's that everything clicks for Luciano and they get huge growth. That would be like the one big pleasant surprise you could maybe project. And I like him because he's hit the ball hard, uh, 111.8 in the majors last year. And if you combine his majors and minor league hard hit rate, he gets a 51.6% there. So I went looking for players under 25 last year that um, had uh, a maxi V over 111 and a hard hit over uh, 48%. Um, and the people that he's lined up with. And then I also was like, well, he can't, he misses a lot. So like, I have to put that in. So I put the swing strike rate had to be over 14%. So it's a mixed bag, but it's an interesting mixed bag. Listen to these, uh, the comps for him. Everson Pereira, Mark Vientos, Christopher Morel, Nolan Gorman, Fernando Tatis Jr., MJ <laughs> Melendez, it's a, you know, it's a it's a group where not every one of these guys is going to be set, settle in and be a major league regular. Mark Vientos, the glove is bad, but Luciano does not have that glove problem. And Everson Pereira is an outfielder on a team that is going to give you 100 plate appearances before you're traded or cut or you're back in the minors. You know, like they're not going to give him a long extended look. I don't think that's true for Marco Luciano. I heard is this a little bit from the old regime, but. I heard the plan was just to stick him in as, at shortstop at, on day one. And uh, I don't see anybody out on the market that they're going to stick in there over him unless they, they sign Tim Anderson. That would be a, a surprise for me because they could have acquired Tim Anderson at the trade deadline for almost nothing. Uh, and they, like every other team, decided not to. So uh, I think Luciano's in there from day one. I think his glove keeps him in there. And I'm not saying he's going to be Tatis, but there's a lot of stuff under the hood you can like. And I think that one thing that really happens is, you know, he did not chase, but he also didn't swing in the zone. And in fact, I would tell him, get in there and be aggressive. Make the most out of this ability. If you swing and miss a lot, it's not always great to wait and be patient because then you might get your pitch and swing strike three, you know? Uh, I think, it, you know, in his case, almost like a you know, a, a Pablo Sandoval approach might be better. Just get in there and rake, like just swing, get aggressive and, and, and pound some homers. Uh, I'm not sure that he's going to be a superstar, but uh, given that he's super, super cheap this year, I I'm looking to acquire him. Yeah. And he's coming off a year in which the K rate was close to 30% at double a, it was above 35% during his brief time in triple a. So it just seems like nobody's really into him. There's been some injuries underneath all of these somewhat underwhelming lines. He's been so young for the level. I think most projection systems are going to spit out something pretty ugly. People are going to stay away from Luciano. But if he's got a clear run to playing time, if they believe he's a shortstop, it doesn't matter what other people think of him defensively. If they're going to give him the playing time, he could actually get a lot better really fast. My my eye scouting says that like the actions are are fine. He just throws it away sometimes. And that's Mm. and that's something that really sticks out. It's like one of those things that when you see it happen, you're like, oh, you can never be a shortstop. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but you know, Fernando Tatis used to throw it away and then he got better. I mean, it's And true. now he's not a shortstop, so it's not, not a great example. But <laughs> No, but limited range, it, I mean, unless you're like looking for it or trained to see it, it doesn't jump at you the same way that a throw that goes into the stands. Like everyone notices Derek that. Jeter, Derek Jeter is our prime example of that. 
Yeah. It's the catcher defense. We all see past balls. That's why people How hate Gary Sanchez those? too much, dude. Right. Yes, he drops some past balls. It happens like once every 25 games. And then you think, well, we lost the game because of it and you hate him. But otherwise, he's a good defensive catcher. <laughs> you know? Oh, let's get to the pitching for the Giants here. I, I tried to find, I don't know if anyone picked up on this. Every single pitcher featured today is, is doing the same thing. They're celebrating a strikeout or an end of an inning. So they're just walking <laughs> up the mound yelling. It's great because they, they all overlay perfectly. Well, because if you, yeah, if you, if you did one with them actually pitching, the leg would be over half the stats. Right, and then the leg would be all like blurry, and I, there's, there's no, one, no one cares about that. But we just cut off a leg in the middle. Usually, there's a missing leg if if I'm messing with Photoshop. <laughs> but Logan Webb, far and away, just the the ace of this staff, right? I mean, does it a different way. Doesn't miss as many bats as a lot of other top end starters, but gets a ton of ground balls. It's legit, right? Has good control. Has a nice home park behind him. Probably a tick undervalued in fantasy because of the lower K rate. I have no qualms about Webb. I think this is a very, very good pitcher kind of heading up this group. Robbie Ray eventually could be a clear number two. It's easy to see it. Once he's healthy again, I get that. I understand you have to wait for it to happen. The questions really come back to the rest of this group. And what they do until Robbie Ray comes back. Yeah, I mean, that's one extra spot to fill in a rotation where you've always got some questions. They've done things their own way these last couple of seasons, using openers, having three, four-inning guys. You have to get buy-in on that. I mean, we talked about the Jordan Hicks addition back in the starting pitcher preview. You can see it. The stuff numbers are really good. The questions are about command. How is this different? Like, how, Tell me a story that leads to a different outcome for the Giants pitching staff as a group in 2024. I suppose you can squint and see a traditional rotation so it's like one of those things where it's almost like the when we talk about the rangers right like let's say you just fast forward to august let's say they paper over it and they do fine but then in august you wake up and you're like oh the rotation right now is webb you know ray cobb uh harrison and maybe even hicks is back in the bullpen by then but if that's your front four you're like oh that's fine those those people come out there every five days and give you five innings you know it's not we're not playing a bunch of tricks here. Um, but they're going to have to play a bunch of tricks to get there. And that's why I think this team, more than any other team, could use Blake Snell. Oh, yeah. That's why I put Snell At least originally. on day one, he'll be healthy. And if he's hurt later, well, then you can replace him with Alex Cobb or Robbie Ray. <laughs> right. The Grant Brisby, Mitch Hedberg, frozen banana pitcher approach. Yeah. That That's still here. That's still part of the Giants' DNA. That may... That may never go away so long as you know Farhan is, is heading up the front office. But you know, even Alex Cobb is coming off of hip surgery. So there's another guy that... I'm doing it too. It yeah, sucks. you can't just automatically assume he's 100% full go when the season starts. He started a throwing program a few weeks ago, but there's some question there. I think they have to try Jordan Hicks as a regular starter initially, and then they've got each, each level they can try on the way down if it doesn't work. Oh, it didn't work going five plus at a time. Okay, let's put an opener in front of him. Let's see if he can get three, four innings at a time. Oh, if that doesn't work, then we'll we'll use him as a fireman out of the bullpen. Maybe, in fact, actually, uh, because of its a confidence play, maybe go the opposite way. Start with the biggest baby gloves you can. You know? Start him in his first start. He has an opener, and he goes three innings, and you say, wow, that was great. You know? And the second time out, you give him four innings. 
And you say, hey, listen, you got it. And then two or three weeks in, he's actually got a full s- spot. That's that's how I would do it, I think. Do you make Put him in a position to succeed. Make it as easy as possible for him to succeed. The problem with that is that means Kyle Harrison has to be in every has to be in every down back has to be a guy who actually goes into deep into games and Keaton Wynn has to deep pitch deep into games in fact for this to work because Jordan Hicks is going to require bullpen days and I think Tristan Beck is going to require bullpen days because he only has a good slider and not much else so he's really a three inning guy so you can't have three three inning guys in your rotation I don't think I think Keaton Wynn probably gets a shot to be used like a regular starter right away. Yeah. If you look back at the workloads from last season, it was nine total appearances that he made with the big club. Uh, all of them, except for one, were four or more innings. Yep. He went five plus five times. Like That's regular usage. And he's pretty efficient, too. He doesn't run up high pitch counts either. So I would say Wynn is probably the unheralded sleeper type if you want to a comp you know he's like on a my sleeper list there's a lot of really cool things about him he throws the fat he throws a split finger 55 percent of the time i think that'll come down because the slider he, he what he told me was that he couldn't throw the slider after tommy john so he just threw the splitter after splitter after splitter uh the slider looks okay by stuff plus so and he's more removed from tommy john so i think he's going to bring that slider up and it's not going to be a good fastball but he showed that he can hide the fastball with the splitter and he has good enough command of that splitter so I think he's going to be a really weird pitcher. I can't think of many people who are like slider, splitter, and their four seems not that good. But he could. He has the chance. Like I think when you're looking at the rotation, at least right now, he needs to actually pitch. Like they have, he has to pitch. I think I would draw the line for now as far as drafting Keaton Win 15 team mixed leagues as one of your bench pitchers. I think you could do that. Mm-hmm. I think you could stream him at home in some more shallow leagues. I really think there's a, a window there to actually do that early in the year because he should go undrafted in more shallow formats unless he just has an amazing spring, in which case people might start to get excited enough to make him their last pitcher in like a 12-team league or something along those lines. Who's your would-you-rather if you were going to take one of Harrison or Hicks? Who would you rather have for this season? I'm not looking at my, I'm not looking at my rankings. <laughs> I guess Harrison, I think he just has more innings, but... Um, if I could like somehow make it like a use case or something like like on a per inning basis, I take Hicks two for two on shares of Hicks in my uh, draft and hold so far. So I don't know if I'm gonna have him on every roster, but uh, got a little bit of Jordan Hicks already. In well, my that's life. a good one in draft and hold because you're like worst case scenario on buying sixty or seventy good innings. As a short reliever, I know he'll be good. I think mm-hmm. as a multi inning bulk guy, I think he might be good. That was one of my defenses of it is he's not that expensive and in that format especially three or four innings with a shot at a win in a good home park I'll take uh, I'll take my chances plenty of K's likely for Jordan Hicks as well so for the projection 80.1 as things sit right now from Pakoda too hot too cold or just right just right I, I mean it just it seems like a pretty mediocre team I'm gonna give it too hot I think they're gonna come in a little under it's it's only a little bit too hot relatively speaking but I don't give out enough too hots so I can't think everybody's under projected. I'm just a little bit surprised they're ahead of the Padres because when you look at the Padres, I think it's very obvious that there's two two places of need and that's the outfield and the back end of the starting rotation. But when you look here, I feel like the, the, the need, I guess the need is more spread out. <laughs> They've got okay options. And so it's hard to like, but I would just say the need is like the entire lineup. 
other than maybe one, the first hitter and the second hitter, you know? It's illuminating to see ADPs where there's two in the top 300 among yeah, that position exactly. player crew. That's, that's weird. There's part factors and stuff, but like, yeah, that's, I think the need is the entire lineup and the back end of the rotation and maybe even some part of the bullpen be, you know, depth wise. A big year for this front office, though. I think they need to have some success if they uh, want to keep everything together beyond Which is why I expect one of the Boris uh, clients that's still out there to, to end up in San Francisco. I think it's a little bit desperate times. Farhan Zaidi, I think, got a one-year extension. And so that's, that's how good he feels about his job security, I bet. Yeah, that would be uncomfortable, to say the least, in a role like that. We are going to go as we sign off. Just a heads up, we've got a big show announcement coming tomorrow, so be sure to tune in for that. Always exciting to have something like that that we can share. Uh, you can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The pod is at Rates and Barrels. And you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. Now we got lots of folks out there who maybe just started tuning in recently with the Super Bowl having been played on Sunday. Today is the first day of fantasy baseball season for some folks. Welcome. We've been at it for like three and a half months because we really don't stop, but we're happy to have you here. And uh, we look forward to you catching up. we got a position preview series that already dropped, so be sure to check those out wherever you listen to podcasts or watch those on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button on this video, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done so already, and drop us a comment on this video. We'll try to pick up some mailbag questions for an upcoming episode here in the near future. So that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. I've got you know, my young breakout pictures up there. If you subscribe, you get to read that. And uh, as always, thanks for listening.